Hey, women of strength, it's Megan. As always, I can't wait for today's guest to share their story. But before we do, I wanted to check in and make sure you are taking a prenatal vitamin. You especially need them during conception, pregnancy, and postpartum. I recently learned that 97% of women in the U.S. take a prenatal supplement, yet 95% are still deficient in key nutrients. Finding a prenatal that has the correct dosage and forms of nutrients that you need during pregnancy can be harder than you think. This is why I love and recommend Needed to all of my pregnant mamas and actually use it myself. They create products from the ground up with targeted nutrients and dosages mamas need. They also go above and beyond with third-party tests, testing every batch to ensure the safest product. Head over to thisisneeded.com to get 20% off with code VBAC20. That is thisisneeded.com and use code VBAC20. Hello, hello, you guys. It is likely a cold winter morning or afternoon, <laughs> at least here in Utah. It's February and I don't know, it's not something that was intentional, but it seems like this uh, month we're talking about gestational diabetes. We talked about it last week. And coincidentally enough, the, re- the story today that we're recording talks about gestational diabetes today. So I'm excited to kind of dive more into that and talk a little bit more into that. And, you know, I feel like we, we were talking about this just before we started recording. It's it's becoming more common, but it's not talked about enough. So it's probably fitting that we're doing two episodes a month on gestational diabetes. But we have a really great story with um, for you today. We have a C-section that was um, begun with an induction, and then she got a double whammy with a asynclitic and posterior baby. I'm really excited to hear what your diagnosis was on that, Samantha, um, because I always get so curious when we have, when we know we had fetal positioning, if we get that like CPD diagnosis and things like that. Um, but of course, we have a review of the week. So we're going to share this and then we'll dive right into Samantha's story. This was by Lindsay Brine O'Hara. Oh gosh, O'Hara? Shoot, I always butcher names. Uh, it says, in, an invaluable resource. I found the VBAC link shortly after my first daughter was born via cesarean after a planned birth center birth. My second turned home birth cesarean as well. And I have found a home in a CBAC, cesarean birth after cesarean. You guys, for everyone that doesn't know this, if you've had a cesarean birth after cesarean, please know we have a group for you too. We know that sometimes after not having a vaginal birth, it can be hard to be in a VBAC group. And so we have created this cesarean birth after cesarean group. And it's amazing. So she says, I found a home in the CBAC group these ladies put together. It helped me through some dark days of postpartum and processing my unplanned repeat cesarean. You can find VBAC groups all over the place now, but a group for those mamas who are grieving the loss of their VBAC, they can't find, not so much. This is a very special group where I feel completely supported, heard, and respected for a birth. I sometimes struggle to call mine and my babies. I am now diving into all the VBAC after two cesarean and VBAC after multiple cesarean content from over the years, and I'm finding so much comfort and hope in these brave women who have come before me. I just have this strong feeling I will get to be one of them. Ooh, that just gave me the chills. And I hope to share my story with 
with you when that day comes. Says I'm learning so much about birth and about myself as becoming as a birthing woman. I thought I was informed for the first time that there are so many layers of understanding past birth and planning for future births, especially when C-section is involved. Thank you for the well-researched evidence-based content and special stories. Wow. That review literally just gave me chills and makes me emotional. You guys, when Julie and I, like, like Samantha can see my eyes, no one else can, but like really they're, they're like tearing up. When Julie and I created this group and this podcast and this course, this is why we did it to help people feel exactly how she was describing, to feel loved, to feel heard, to find a place of education, to understand that you're not alone because sometimes it can feel so lonely just so lonely. So thank you for that review. I'm literally crying. Thank you for that review from the bottom of my heart. As you can see, and as you know, we love reviews. They truly make everything that we do. It it warms our hearts. It helps people just like you find this podcast. It helps people find the course so they can find the information. And it helps people find that Google group or that Facebook group. So you can leave it on Google Um, You can leave it on Apple Podcasts. You can leave it on social media. You can leave it on Facebook. Message us wherever. If you love the VBAC link and you have something to share, please let us know because we absolutely, from the bottom of our hearts, love it. You are tuned into the VBAC link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, Samantha, now that I'm trying to soak back up the the tears that wanted to flow, (laughs) you just got to say, I mean, I don't know what, yeah, sorry for being being so vulnerable here, but wow, that just touched my heart. But now that I can see the screen again, (laughs) Um, I would just love to turn the time over to you and also thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Like this is like my second goal after getting a feedback. Like I need (laughs) to be on the Link podcast. (laughs) But um, same thing as the review was saying, like this, it's an invaluable resource. Like I had no clue what I didn't know going into my first birth. Yeah. 100%. So um. My story starts in 2020, I guess. Uh, I found out I was pregnant in August on my birthday, actually. I found oh, out. Oh, happy birthday to you. Yeah, it was so exciting. My pregnancy went super well. I had a bit, bit of leg pain at some point, but I was seeing a pelvic floor physio. She fixed me up really well and everything was perfect. Uh, I had an anterior placenta, so I learned mm-hmm. a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but shouldn't have been a problem. So it was fine. I was due May 7th was my due date that they gave me. I don't think it was necessarily accurate. I think I was due a little bit later. I think around the 11th or 12th, I was tracking ovulation and stuff like that. 
Um, so at 39 and five, I had my doctor's appointment and he sent me for an ultrasound, a growth ultrasound. Had I known what I know now, Uh I said, nope, thank you. (laughs) But, uh, he was estimated at being seven pounds, 10 ounces. Then the week after the Tuesday night, I had this weird episode. I want to call it. I was sitting on the couch and all of a sudden my vision got blurry and Mm. I ended up with a headache and I was waiting to see if I should go in or not. I Mm. felt off. Mm -hmm. And um, in the end, I went into labor and delivery because it was the height of COVID. I didn't want to go to the emergency room. Yeah, All my symptoms had subsided by then, but they thought it was an optical migraine. And he said, look, we can't do anything for you. You're having some contractions, nothing crazy. I wasn't feeling anything. So they're like, look, you have your doctor's appointment tomorrow. Just talk, talk with to him. him. There. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next day I went in and he was like, ah, it was probably just an optical migraine. You're fine now. So whatever. I've actually never heard of that. Right? An <laughs> optimal. Op- o- optical. Yeah. Like optical. Eyes. Yeah. My, yeah. So I was Interesting. like, strange, but that put me a little bit on edge. So that's why I'm telling like that part of the story. Yeah. Because then kind of set the story. Yeah. He told me, look, you're almost 41 weeks. It makes your, you're overdue. I'm like, okay. And he's like, stillbirth, the rate of stillbirth goes way up now. Oh, oh, geez. Of course, that puts fear right into your heart, right? So, yeah. He's like, look, we're going to schedule the induction. It's going to go great. It's going to be amazing. You're going to have your baby in the next few days. He's like, look, we're really booked next week. So, I'll set you for Thursday. Thursday, first thing in the morning, come in. So they call me and they're like, we're ready for you. I got there around 9 a.m. And the plan was to put a Foley bulb in. But then the doctor who was on rotation at that time came in and said, you're already two centimeters. It's not worth doing the Foley bulb at this point. We're just going to start you on some Pitocin if that's okay with you. I was like, okay, well, whatever you say, I trust you, your doctor. Mm -hmm. Had I known. (laughs) Anyways, so... We stayed in that room until 5 p.m. that night because they didn't have a room to start pit yet. So mm-hmm. from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., I was just sitting there having random contractions that I never felt and wishing I had a gut feeling. I told my husband, I said, we shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be induced. Oh, this really? not what I want to do, but I didn't know I could leave. Uh-huh. Like, I wasn't aware that that was a thing. <laughs> so, Women of strength, it's a thing. It's a, it's a thing. You do not have to be there. And there was nothing abnormal about the baby's heart rate. There was nothing going on. They did a mini ultrasound just to check his position. He was head down. That's all I knew, really. Mm -hmm. Um, He was at a minus two station. I was 60% of face, two centimeters. Like, everything was fine. My body was fine. He was fine. So, we start pit at 5 p.m., but they were ramping it up quite quickly. I wasn't Mm -hmm. feeling anything at this point. So, they took forever and then ramped it up. Yeah, they're like, hello, (laughs) welcome. (laughs) So then finally, they broke my waters the next morning at 6.30 a.m. Do you know what dilation you were or what station at that point? I was around three and a half centimeters at that point. Okay. Yeah. So they're like, you've progressed a little bit, but you're not moving fast enough for us. Uh, So they, cool. Yeah. So break water real early. (laughs) Yeah. Because they had checked me at 1 a.m. And yeah. He said the baby was still too high to break the waters. So he was like, okay, we'll wait until morning. And that's when they came in. I was still the same dilation. So like, okay, let's, let's do this. I was like, okay, whatever you say. Mm-hmm. They did that. And uh, then all of a sudden the contractions got 
real. Right. A hundred percent real. And um, so by 1030, I decided to get the epidural because they were messing with the pit- Pitocin like crazy. Oh. They kept on upping yeah. it. My contractions were back to back. I had no break. It was insane. I was like, what is this? I can't survive this. If Yeah. Like I was five centimeters at that point. And I was like, I still have halfway to go. Like, you know, like that's a lot. Mm-hmm. So I got the epidural and then my nurse was really fantastic. Actually, she got the peanut ball for me, put me in the bed, was rotating me every 30 minutes. It was, she was actually like my biggest happiness point at, yeah. at that, you know, like she was mm-hmm. amazing. Then my doctor, my actual OB wasn't on call that weekend. And he had left a note in my file saying that if I gave birth while he was there, he wanted to attend because he had seen me since I was 18. Like we had this yeah. relationship. And so he came to see me and he's like, I'm leaving for the weekend. Good luck. I'll try to come visit you after the mm-hmm. baby's I was like, okay, bye. Like, uh, yeah, you had been there, but you know, say la vie. Yeah. yeah. So then at 4.30 p.m., I was complete. So it went pretty quickly from 10.30 to 4.30. I had done the rest of the yeah. remaining 10 centimeters, but they said the baby was still quite high. So they gave me two hours to labor down. Well, they said two hours. It ended up being about three. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there was a change in staff and that's when things stopped mm-hmm. going well. <laughs> Unfortunately, my nurse had to leave. She said her son's birthday was the next day. And I was like, no, don't leave. And she's like, I was asked to do overtime, but I really, I have to go. I was like, I get it. Go ahead. So then this new nurse comes in with a student doctor, mm-hmm. a medical student of some sort. They, it's blurry because I was, you know, <laughs> 10 centimeters and ready to push, but mm-hmm. Things were really awkward between this nurse and the doctor. He mm-hmm. wanted to like get in there and help. And she was like, no, this is my job. And then so he left and then he came back and he was like, I was told I have to be here. And she was like, okay, fine. So she came and sat next to my head and let him do whatever he had to do, you know, type of thing. But it was super weird in the room. Yeah, it was so weird. And I was like, so uncomfortable. Anyways, so then I started pushing and they told me his station was about plus one or plus two, but he never moved in the hour that I was pushing. So, and he stopped tolerating when I was on my right side near the end. And I had like that. Yeah. Horrible heartburn too. I felt like Mm. I was going to throw up like fire. (laughs) So fun. So then finally we pushed for an hour. the doctor on call came in, didn't even look at me almost, didn't really introduce herself, nothing, just said C-section. Whoa. Like, Excuse me? And at that point, though, I had, I had a bit of a fever. They gave me Tylenol. Uh, they said it could have just been from being in labor and from pushing. And I was like, okay, whatever you say, if that's normal. They're like, but we have to get you to C-section now because he had a D-cell for four minutes to 70 beats per minute. So okay. they- Mm-hmm. They were nervous. And like, yeah. at this point, the the medical student had had his fingers like inside, like rubbing the baby's head to like get him back. Yeah. Is- Some things they do have to like stimulate the baby. Yeah. Between yeah. every push, he was doing that. And then this one was like the final, I guess, like they called it there. But it was really strange. She's calling a C-section. She's like, I'm going to go call the doctor. I'm not sure if she meant my OB or the surgeon. She goes off. The nurse is still getting me to push. And I'm like... How is this an emergency if I'm still pushing? Like, I was so confused. So, baby's anyway. heart rate returned at this point. Yes. I assume. Exactly. So, it was like just very strange. Anyway, so then they wheel me down to the ER. We had to go to the regular operating room because it was 
they only have certain hours, like during the day from nine to five, I guess they do in like mm. the special labor and delivery OR. So Interesting. Brought, yeah. And so it was a Friday night. So everything was, we went to the regular OR. The nurse and the anesthesiologist were amazing. They took pictures and stuff like that before. Mm. They gave me the spinal. Then my husband was allowed to come in while they were doing the test cut. Everything. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel anything. So he was allowed in. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So um, they didn't tell me much during the surgery at all. I don't even remember meeting the actual surgeon other than them saying, this is so-and-so, he's going to do your surgery. He's great. Don't worry about it. I was like, okay, okay, do what we got to do. And never heard from this man ever again. He didn't come to see me post-op. Stop, really? I don't know who this person was, really. The person who cut into my body never came to talk to me after. I had no clue what happened. Anyways, so it seemed to go pretty routinely. He was pulled out at 9.13 p.m. He was 7 pounds, 10 ounces. So what they had told me he was a week prior was what he was at actual birth. His APGAR scores were 9 and 9. So he was he not was in distress. Doing when, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was my husband cut the cord. Everything was fine. Then they brought me to the recovery room, but it was the general recovery room because L&D was closed yeah. for that. So I was left alone. <laughs> my husband took the baby and went to postpartum. Mm-hmm. And when he got there, the nurses said, oh, no, not another one. Yeah. So he was like another C-section baby or another person? Baby. Yeah, another person. And he was like, I feel great. He has all his bags, all, all of our bags, rather. Seven, like I have my boppy. I have like yeah, his bag, everything. He's carrying everything. He's got the baby in the the pushing cart thing, mm-hmm. and nobody's helping him. And they just shove him in a room in a corner, and they say, "Do skin to skin here, change the diaper, done." They left him there for four hours with a baby. Four hours for four hours, and didn't go check on him. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It was, and you were still I in that recovery room for four hours. For four hours, because my blood work my, all my vitals were all over the place because i had hemorrhaged which i didn't know at the time oh. i was shaking uncontrollably i kept on falling in and out of sleep i guess they had given me morphine i was so itchy i could yes like, oh and yeah. the whole time i'm just worried because you hear about the golden hour the golden hour i was freaking out the whole time because my plan was to breastfeed and i was freaking out so then a nurse comes at one point and she's like, here, call your husband and ask him what the baby weighed. And I was like, okay. So I call him and he's like, yeah, he was seven pounds, 10 ounces. I was like, okay. And then the nurse is like, okay, give me my phone back. And I was like, uh, what's going on here? It was so yeah. good. It just didn't make any sense to me what was going on. So finally, after four hours, they brought me back up because I guess the spinal had worn off enough and my vitals, I guess, were stable enough that they could move me. Mm-hmm. So I got there at 1.15 a.m., finally got to meet my baby for real. They had only kind of brought him over for a picture. He was on my chest for like 30 seconds and they're like, yeep, <laughs> let's go. Um, yeah, that was that. And uh I found out a lot of things after the surgery. I found out I had hemorrhaged because I needed a blood transfusion the next day. And I never found out about the extension on my scar until I got my reports that I had asked for when I got pregnant the second time. They had told Because no one came in and talked to you. Nobody. Like the medical student came to talk to me about the transfusion. And, and then the controlled, like, so yeah. an extension for listeners, like 
she now ha- has a special scar. Yeah. Yeah. Considered so I considered a special scar. After. And it was because of my pelvic floor physio that I had an inkling of it because I went to go see her and she said, your exterior scar is very long. And I was like, oh, well, they told me he got stuck. Like he was pretty stuck in there. They said they tried to push him up during the C-section. He didn't really move. Mm-hmm. So they ended up using the forceps in my C-section, which I found out from the pediatrician the next day. I had no clue. They really? apparently, yeah. Wait, so they used forceps externally pushing up? Or I don't know what they did. Uh, with you cut open? Yeah, with me cut open, I'm pretty sure, because he had the marks on the sides of his head. So that's where the special scar came from. Yes, they cut me further to get him out. And so he ended up with a huge hematoma on the side of his head because he was OP and asynclitic. And they told me his chin had been extended as well. So it was like he was trying to come Triple whammy. I don't know what happened to this poor child. (laughs) The baby was high and we broke waters in a less ideal position. And he came down and said, well, the floodgates just opened. And came down in a wonky position and... It was and we had Pitocin cramming him down there. and Yes, exactly. And so when he came out, he had that huge hematoma on his head that they told me would resolve on its own. He had mm-hmm. a torticollis, like a pretty intense torticollis. Looking back now, like mm-hmm. in all of his pictures, he's got his head like to, yeah, completely mm-hmm. to his shoulder, this poor child. So he did Cairo and everything for that. Yeah. Um, and I had burst all the blood vessels in his eyes by trying to push him out so hard. So oh poor baby. Yeah. So he ended up, um, my milk took a lot longer to come in because of all the trauma. And, and blood uh, loss, I'm sure. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So he was jaundiced. He lost more than 10% of his weight because they pumped me so full of liquid that he probably lost all this a lot of it. weight that wasn't true weight. Yes. But they didn't explain that to me. So they were all panicked. So in and retrospective, he probably was smaller than 710. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and he also had a tongue tie that we ended up revising at four and a half months after trying absolutely everything not to, but Mm -hmm. we did it and everything went well other than that. Like our breastfeeding journey was a bit tough at the beginning. Yeah. But, you know, so my official reason for my cesarean was arrest of descent and fetal distress. Okay. Yeah. So um, Mm. that was basically all they, and the worst part is in the report, they didn't mention the forceps in some of the report. Some of them do have the forceps in it. it I, so honestly, I don't know what happened. It was on some reports, some not very confusing, but it did have the extension on there. So they said it was yeah. a four centimeter extension on my uterus. Oh. And okay. so that's where the hemorrhaging happened because they hit mm-hmm. that nerve on the side, apparently. Which oh. I, yeah. So that's what the doctors at the new hospital where I gave birth to my second told me when they were doing my chart, she's like, okay, this is what happened to you. So it shouldn't be like a huge red flag for your next birth. Like you, you didn't hemorrhage just because, you know, like there was a reason. Yeah. That probably actually, and it was nice for you to find out. Yeah, for sure. A little bit. And on the report, it said that my waters had been broken at, 6 30 on the night of the 13th when they were broken at 6 30 a.m on the 14th so they put they recorded it as being 12 hours longer than i had had my waters broken interesting so i was like hmm that's nice that's nice to know they never mentioned my fever and they reported that i pushed for two hours not one wow so there's a lot of things yeah i was very upset when i read these reports 
And did you have gestational diabetes with this baby? Nope. My sugars were completely fine. Sugars were completely fine. Yeah. It was intense. And in the moment, I didn't realize how traumatizing the birth was. I was like, we got to do what we got to do. Like, literally, I said, put my big girl pants on. Let's go. You know, like, yeah. But it's when I was going through it in my brain and talking about it that I realized how much it affected me. And so absolutely, that was a huge part of my VBAC prep after I read how to heal a bad birth. I did all of that mm-hmm. stuff. So like, it really, yeah, it was intense. And something they never tell you about C-sections. I had the worst gas pain in my shoulder. Oh, yeah. The it worst. gets struck. It gets stuck up there. Me too. With my second C-section, no one told me that either. And I was like, what? Is this my milk? Like, what is this? Like, I didn't know. And I was like, I just want to like, this is like, this is literally what I said. I said, I want to stab a knife in there just to release it because it was right? so strong. I thought I'd pulled every muscle of my body from like pushing or something. And mm-hmm. no, it was, it was just gas. Our body <laughs> cavities get air yeah. after being cut open. And sometimes it can get trapped and it travels up to that shoulder. It was the worst. Anyways, just so for anybody thinking that they're dying from something when they're just healing from a C-section. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. So recovery went pretty well. I was seeing a pelvic floor physio, did a ton of scar mobilization. She was, we were always working on the scar, especially Love it. huge. <laughs> like it yes. So, so um, that was part of my prep even before I got pregnant. Then at my eight week postpartum, it's supposed to be six weeks, but he didn't. Yeah. I guess it was just delayed. Um, and it was on the phone because of COVID. So that was fun. Oh, yeah. Recovering from a C-section, not knowing if your scar looks okay. like, wow. And they had put steri strips to close the scar and mm-hmm. said they should fall off within you know, a week. Four weeks later, they were still on. And I wrote an email and I was like, do I take these off? Because I started Googling and it says it can cause infection. infection. And I was like, oh, great. So yeah. another thing they didn't really advised me on so that I didn't give you good post-op care no it was it was and we were in a a semi-private room it was just uncomfortable it was not a great experience one of the nurses made me cry and like it was hard to make me cry in those few first few days I was completely numb yeah like done I was a shell of a human to be honest Mm. looking back on it and she managed to make me cry she came in and she's like you didn't do this you didn't do that I was like so overwhelmed brand new baby so sorry it was it was not great. So at my eight-week postpartum appointment, I asked about VBAC. And the, my OB was like, yeah, you'd be a great candidate. Like, you got to sen- 10 centimeters. You were pushing. Like, everything's great. So I was like, excellent. Yeah. It's like, just make sure that you don't, like, your births have to be two years apart. He said, no problem. I marked it on the calendar, you know, like, good. So then I did end up getting pregnant really easily again. And... <laughs> My due dates were a week apart. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. So um, this baby was due on the 22nd. Okay. So like, because my son was born on the 14th of my first son, yeah. but his due date was the, the 7th, but yeah. they ended up being like a week apart. So I was like, well, I got my two years. So there you go. So um, were they, they're 24 months apart? Yeah. Oh, yeah. they are. exactly so i went to go see my ob at 10 weeks that's when he sees you he sent me for um uh, an ultrasound early like around eight weeks just to Mm -hmm. make sure everything's good because i was pulled pulled from work because of uh covid and for violent children i'm a teacher so we just had to make sure that everything was viable and everything so 
we did that. I went to see him at 10 weeks. First, he tried to date me earlier than I was. And I knew for a fact that I was not again. <laughs> yes. Again. So I was like, no, we're not playing this again. Good and for you. Uh, so I, I had my appointment with him and I was like something. And he told me, he started saying, I think your best option would be being induced at 39 weeks. But I can't make you do anything. So, but I need you to go into labor spontaneously before 40 weeks if you're going to have a V back. Mm. Like, hmm. Red flag. Yeah, exactly. And I had started listening to the V back link at this point. So I was like, that's not good. Okay. So I spoke to my chiropractor who was working on my son who had helped him with his protocols and everything. And she said, the secretary had a V back and with this doctor at a different hospital. So I'll, I'll text her. I know her well. I'll text her. I'll get you in. So she got me in with this new doctor. So I went to go see her and she was like, yeah, you're a great candidate for VBAC. Like, I don't see a problem. I brought her my operative notes because she had to wait for them to be transferred. Mm-hmm. So she's like, look, there's the extension worries me a little. I just want to get you checked with. A I was going to ask you if she said anything about your special scar. Yeah, she did. So I made an appointment at the uh, special I mean, the, I guess it's maternal fetal medicine. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's called, um, the gore in French. I mean, we're in Quebec, right? So it's everything's in French. So it's, uh, grossesse à risque, So at risk pregnancies. So mm-hmm. I had to go see a specialist there. So I made my appointment and I waited and I was panicking and I was like, I need to have this feedback. I need this. Yeah. I need this. I need this. So I show up to my appointment. I waited for five hours and then we were told the, the, specialist had to be called into a c-section and i was like i get it like if i was that person and i needed extra hands i i would i i get yeah it. but then yeah. she told me you haven't even had your ultrasound for like 12 13 weeks you know it's like there's no point in me looking at your dossier or whatever and i was like but it's not about anything except for my extension and she's like no no just make another appointment after your ultrasound so oh I left there in tears, panicking still. And I was like, I don't know if I can even try for this VBAC. Like, I may just have to sign up for another surgery. We don't know. Mm-hmm. So I went back a few weeks later. It was about a month later. So it was a long yeah. time of, like, panic and, and nerves. And so then I saw this other doctor, and she was fantastic. I literally left that appointment telling her I loved her because she was so nice and evidence-based she took out files and showed me statistics and everything she explained my previous birth she was fantastic and she's like you made it to 10 and you were pushing the baby was just in the wrong position Mm -hmm. you're a perfect candidate and i was like okay and she's like and the extension is lateral so it was all in the same direction she said same direction or low we have no problem with it's if it goes Mm -hmm. up then we start looking at things a little bit more seriously so I felt super relieved after that. And she told me the reason for my hemorrhage. It was her who told me. She said, she asked me, did they try different positions? I said, no. Like they moved me from side to side, but like pushing, I was all on my back. She's like, we would have gotten you up on hands and knees. We would have done squatting. We would have done, she's like, did they try to manually turn him? I said, absolutely not. Nothing happened. Like they literally left me on my own. She's like, we would have tried all of those things. So it really validated my whole experience. Absolutely. And she's known for doing VBAC after two cesareans as well. So she's like one of the only doctors at that hospital who will do it. And supportive. Yeah. Just she was amazing. So that relieved me a lot. (laughs) 
We're gonna take a short break to continue talking about prenatals. I want to talk about grocery store prenatals for a moment. I recently saw someone commenting in our Facebook community that that's what they take for their prenatal. As you know, I am an advocate for radically better nutrition and choosing a prenatal that fits that philosophy is something I want for all mamas to consider. That's why I'm a huge fan of Needed's prenatals. So when I was at the grocery store the other day, I wanted to explore the options myself. I was blown away to see that some of the key ingredients were missing on almost all of them. Ingredients like vitamin D, choline, and methylfolate. These are all ingredients that we need to have during conception years and even after during our postpartum period. I noticed the prices on the shelf ranges from $14.99 to about $50. If you know me personally, you know that I love a good deal. However, when it comes to prenatals, you want to think about it as an investment in yourself, your health, and your baby's health. The right form and dosages of vitamins and minerals support tissue healing, blood sugar levels, and support a healthy pregnancy and do so much more. That's why after all my personal research, I love and recommend Needed. Their products are also third-party tested and backed by clinical insights from over 4,000 practitioners. Head over to thisisneeded.com and get 20% off with code VBAC20. Again, that is thisisneeded.com and use code VBAC20, or you can click the link in the show notes. In between that, I hired my doula from a company called Mother Witch. She was fantastic. Her name was Megan Tolbert. So I felt like I had a little bit of a VBAC link like having a Megan of my own. <laughs> it was I, love that. <laughs> I was seeing a chiropractor every two weeks. And then near the end, once a week, I did pelvic floor physio once a month. I did acupuncture once every two weeks. And then near the end, like I did like three intensive type of mm-hmm. get me into labor sessions. Yeah. I did massage therapy just to like relax myself because yeah. that's pretty high stress. <laughs> I did the dates starting at 36 uh-huh. weeks, but that was also with the GD diagnosis was rough. I did red raspberry leaf tea. I did pumping and hand expressing colostrum. So I had read about how important that could be for a gestational diabetes baby. So that was something that was really important to me since I had been separated from my first for four yeah. hours. Like I was like, this poor child didn't eat. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was, I brought my colostrum with me to the hospital and it can awesome. help with their sugars. So that was uh, really important to me. I walked every day. I did curb walking. I did spinning babies, daily essentials. I read how to read a, how to heal a bad birth. Mm-hmm. I read birth after cesarean, your journey to a better birth. Like the, cause there was one story on GD in that, in that book. That's why I bought it. I love, <laughs> Hey, listen, you got to find, you know, it was stories, so right? hard to find gestational diabetes stories at the time it was it was really rough was there a lot of emphasis around just your diagnosis of gestational diabetes was there a lot of like hey you got to do this you can't do this this has to happen or anything like that they weren't as on top of things as i thought they would be Mm -hmm. um because the doctor i was seeing was a family doctor she was a gp uh and so everything above regular pregnancy like healthy pregnancy she would send Mm -hmm. me to the at-risk clinic so they were really the ones who dealt with that so she had sent me for just routine blood work my fasting Mm -hmm. numbers came back like borderline so she's Mm -hmm. like look now you're gonna have to do the 75 gram three-hour test Mm -hmm. two-hour test sorry here so i did that and i had a 
I had a gut feeling my whole pregnancy that I had gestational diabetes for some reason. Really? I had no proof, no proof, but it just kept on popping up. You know how things, yeah. it was mm -hmm. so weird. And I had a feeling that morning when I, and I got my test results like that evening. It was really mm -hmm. fast. I did them privately. So it's, I was, it was 5.3. So here it's measured a bit differently than in the US, but I don't remember the conversion. But the cutoff was 5.3 or oh. 5.2. So 5.3, I was just over. Just over. But because gestational diabetes gets worse before it gets better, usually they're very safe in diagnosing. So, but I never actually got an official diagnosis. I just hmm. had the prescription sent to the pharmacy for my uh, insulin my monitor. No, I'm not a monitor. Insulin. Thank goodness. But um, I um, was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> And uh, they're like, look, we have your your book for the information session in four week, uh, in two weeks, in two weeks. It was two weeks after, and they sent you some documents to read over. So I was like, okay, this is not enough. I need to find more information. So I spoke to friends. I spoke. Uh, I checked. I ended up on a Facebook group called Gestational Diabetes Canada, which was amazing. And I ended up following somebody on um, on Instagram named Leslie Flannery, and she mm, was okay fantastic so if anybody look her up she's amazing and oh, she really, to look her up too yeah she's at gestational.diabetes.nutrition on instagram and she's just fantastic she really normalizes it because there is so much stigma with gestational diabetes so there and is. I mean, it was you think that you caused it and she really debunks that and i really got in my head about that and i was really afraid for my VBAC chances because if you end up on insulin, they really want to induce you by 39 weeks. Mm -hmm. So I was panicking, <laughs> which does not help your numbers, by the way. It doesn't. We <laughs> talked about this in last week's episode. We talked about cortisol yes. not helping, lack yeah. of sleep not helping. And yeah, it's yeah. crazy. But cortisol. Exactly. And for me, it was only my fasting numbers that were the problem. So... Okay. And those are the hardest to control because apparently those are the ones that are influenced the most by hormones and by your placenta. So yeah, that was really rough. We um, talked about that as well. We talked about choline and how certain foods and not cutting things impacts our hormones, right? Like it's just the cycling thing. Exactly. So a lot of people are told to cut carbs completely. But what I learned was if you do that, then you end up spiking your numbers even further because your body takes over. Find the balance. So it's like really intense. And so mm. like all my chances of my VBAC are going out the window. I was crying at every appointment at yeah. his uh, 20 week ultrasound. So the big, the big ultrasound, he was measured in at like 96th percentile. And I was like, Oh my goodness. I left there bawling my eyes out. And I could not get a hold of myself for like three days. <laughs> Everything was just crazy. So I redid my blood work three or four times. And finally, there were no more antibodies. So that was like, just let go. We don't know what That's happened. Interesting. It was, yeah. So it was just another scary like bump. So I don't know. It was, it was intense. And like the gestational diabetes diagnosis really sent me for a loop too. Like I found this pregnancy. I was very stressed because I was so yes. set on getting my V back. Yeah. But thankfully I had my doula. 
So I could send her all of my crazy emails late at night where I was panicking and she always talked me down from that ledge of, of panic. But I had also listened to a podcast from a somatic therapist who said that stress in your pregnancy can be a contributor to things like gestational diabetes and things like that. So I know that put a lot of pressure on me and mm -hmm. reading about the facts of gestational <laughs> diabetes really made me feel a little bit better about that, that it mm -hmm. could have been, but it's not something you can stop just so yeah. it was, it was nice to know that, but that yeah. gestational diabetes diagnosis really is hard when you're trying for a VBAC, I would say. It is. <laughs> it is, which is why we had Lily on last week because we get the question so often and, and we get the, we get the text saying, Oh, I was diagnosed. Can I still be back? Like exactly. asking the question, can, is this still possible? And the answer is yes. Exactly. And so finally around 36 weeks. So apparently there's a, um, a spike between 32 and 36 weeks. Most of the time, that's when your gestational diabetes will be at its worst. Oh. Um, because apparently there's a something to do with the baby's growth. They like have a, a growth spread at that time. And then usually it tapers out near the end. So my numbers all of a sudden just got better. So it was a relief near the end. And so I was like, okay, let's ramp it up. We're doing all the things. I yes. was doing my birth affirmations. One of them was, I am a woman of strength. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yes, you are. My hypnobirthing tracks. I did the ones by Bridget Taylor. She's amazing too at mm -hmm. just all the things getting ready. And so then that leads up to my appointment at 39 weeks and two days. So everything with the gestational diabetes was fine at that point. So they told me, look, we're going to treat you like a regular pregnancy. We won't talk anything until 41 and four. And okay. so my doctor was not a big fan of inductions for VBACs because of the increased risk. But she's like, look, if we have to, we'll look at it then. Until then, let's get you to go into labor spontaneously. Let's just have a baby. Yeah. yeah let's exactly. trust your body. Yeah. But I did opt for a membrane sweep because I was getting not close. I wasn't close because it was only 39 weeks and two days. But I was like, look, I want all the chances on my side of going into labor spontaneously. I had started losing my mucus plug. So I knew things mm -hmm. were, my okay. body was doing what it had had to do, you know, like yes. I never had any of that with my first son at all. So I was like, something's going on. I'd started having more intense Braxton Hicks, like a little bit more often. I was like, things are going to happen. I just, we need to do you this. Feel it. So I had the memory sweep after she checked the, on an ultrasound. He was LOA. He was head down. Like everything was good. So I was like, okay, he's in a good position. Let's do this. Okay. The next evening, I started getting like my Braxton Hicks. I, looking back, I was probably in like super early labor. Mm. I didn't realize it because they were starting to get uncomfortable. Like I'd have to like sit there and breathe for a minute, like nothing crazy. But I was like, huh, I felt that. That That's weird. <laughs> so I was yes. at my friend's house and I was like, okay, that felt weird. I'm going to just go to the bathroom and go pee, whatever. I just came back and I was like, there's a bit of blood. I'm going to head home just because I want to sleep. <laughs> so yeah. I went to bed and then I woke up at 4.43 a.m. with like a contraction that was like, oh, that's uncomfortable. But I had listened to so many stories about padromal labor that I was just convinced. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it's going to be a padromal labor for three weeks. And that's good. like, I was yeah. in complete denial. So I kept on trying to sleep. But they were coming every 10 to 15 minutes. 
and they would wake me up each time. So I wasn't resting super well. And then they started picking up around 6.30. So I texted my doula at around 7.30 and I said, I don't know if I had a bit of bloody show. There's a bit of darker blood. And she said, probably not considering it wasn't like fresh blood and like all those things. Mm -hmm. She's like, but rest, drink water, do all the things. Uh, move around when you need to, things like that. So it was fine. I said, okay, we'll continue and I'll let you know if things pick up or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my husband got up at 745 with the with my first son and just did all the things. I stayed in bed because my body just kept telling me, lie down, rest. It was so, it was like I could not fight it. I was like, okay, lay down in the bed, fine. I was really, I didn't even time my contractions. I was really convinced I wasn't in labor. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> I didn't eat enough. This happens. Enough. <laughs> this happens where we're like, no, it can't be. Like, we want it to be so bad. We're like, but it's not. It's exactly. Not. We're in and, denial. <laughs> and from having zero contractions before my first that I felt and having just Pitocin contractions, I didn't know what to f- think of this. I was like, they're like uncomfortable. They hurt a little, but I'm sure like they're, ju- they're just going to fizzle out and we're going to be fine. And so then... My first son went down for his nap around 10 and my husband had to go into work to drop off his keys because he was changing positions. So that was his last day. (laughs) Like, so he went to go say goodbye and everything. And then he came back home and went downstairs to watch TV and kind of left me on my own. Like he figured better just leave her alone. She's going to do fine. Yeah. Let her do her thing. Yeah. So at 1155, I texted my doula and I said, my contractions are still far apart. Like, I feel like they never got much closer at that point it was like five to ten mm-hmm. uh, ten to fifteen minutes but they were getting more intense so she mm-hmm. said okay do some like hand hand and hands and knees positioning maybe take a bath continue breathing relax you know all those things and so then at that point i said okay to my husband call my sister she was coming to watch my first son she was on her way to a hair appointment that i didn't know she had because she didn't tell me she knew i'd freak out so we called my mom instead so she came and uh she's like uh sam are you timing these contractions is is your husband like what's going on and i was like no i haven't actually taken out my timer i i don't know and so she started following me around with a a pen and paper like (laughs) oh my god like those were four minutes apart you need to leave right now. <laughs> She's like, you're not going to have this baby on the floor at our house, at your house. No, you need yeah. to go. And was it like active? Like you were like working through Oh them? yeah, 100%. Yeah. I was yeah. moaning. I was like trying to do like a low moan to try to get through uh-huh. them. And she said I sounded like a wounded animal at the end of each one because I was just like, <laughs> like it, they hurt. Yeah. And so she's like, you need to leave right now. And I was like, well, I have to shower. It's <laughs> like, no, you're not showering right now. I said, yeah, I am. Yeah, I'd had gonna... my piece of toast that I took one bite out of. I was like, maybe I should eat some more before I go. Yeah. I was in too much pain to eat at that point. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go shower. It's going to be fine. I got in the shower and it was literally the best feeling of my entire life, I think. Yeah. I was like, why didn't I do this early? <laughs> but I just was not in the mind space to do it. Like yeah. every time a contraction hit me, I had the instinct to get up and walk or sit on the toilet. So I think my body just knew that that those were the positions that helped yeah. the most. And then in between, I would just lie down again because I don't know. That's what my body told me to do. I was just listening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was the one for the ride. <laughs> hey, that's good. Yeah. So then 
I texted my doula at 12.45 and I said, I'm going to shower, then we're going to the hospital. So my husband (laughs) during this time, like when my mom got there, was packing his bag because he hadn't. (laughs) (laughs) And getting all of our last minute things. I had a list of like, you know, my birth affirmation. I want to take them down, bring them with me, things like that. So I got in the shower, got out. We left for the hospital at 1.06. It took us about 40 minutes to get there. So it was, it was, there was a bit of traffic. There was a drive. But I was so lucky. I only had about four contractions the whole time. Oh, nice. They had like spaced out. My body knew what to do, man. I was going to say your body knew what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. So then we got there. My doula had gotten there about five minutes before us. So I saw her at the front entrance. This guy stopped to talk to me for like two minutes while I was in active labor, waiting to go to labor and delivery, was talking to me about my day and asking me when (laughs) my, my baby was due. I was like, like today like right now (laughs) i don't think he realized but then i met up with my doula and i had a contraction on the way walking Mm -hmm. and the guy passed by like oh oh." (laughs) i think he realized then like together he's like yeah so then we got there and went to the front desk and he's like doing his paperwork going all slow whatever and then i had another contraction he said oh And he got up and he walked away real fast. And uh, so they got me to triage and the woman, the nurse who came to check me said, look, we're going to check you really quickly, see where you're at. But I think you're going to be going to a room right away. So my Mm -hmm. sister-in-law had given birth at the same hospital two weeks before me. And she had shown up at three centimeters in a lot of pain. And I was like, if I am at three centimeters right now, I don't know if I could do this. Like, yeah. But I got in my head. I was like, I'm going to be like super low dilation. They're Those numbers, us. they mess with us and they really don't mean anything. But man, they impact yes. us quite a lot. Yeah. And I remember saying that to my doula. I was like, if I'm at three, I'm going to scream and then get the epidural. <laughs> like, I can't mm-hmm. continue like this. So the woman's checking me and I'm waiting. And I was like, so? And she goes, you're an eight. I said, Yay. oh my gosh, yes. I was like, I can do this. It gave me like a new spunk. I was like, I'm, I'm sure. ready. Let's go. And so they put me right into a room and they apologized. They're like, we have to get everything ready. So they were like bustling around. They're like, they, but they turned down the lights. They got me a, a yoga Good. ball. Like they did all the things. And they were like, look, we're really sorry to like be in here. We're doing this as fast as possible and then we'll leave you alone. So they never even saw my birth plan because we got there at eight centimeters yeah. and it was go time. But they uh, they wanted to put in the IV and my doula stepped in. And she's like, look, does she need an IV? And they said, well, we just want the port at at the very least, like just the, I guess, the saline block. Yeah, so, HEP block. Uh, yeah, the HEP block, sorry. And so they did that and then they, and they wanted to monitor the baby's heart rate. Those were the two conditions that they wanted to have. So because I was so far along, it didn't really bother me. I didn't mm-hmm. want to fight that fight. It was not something that was yeah. worth it to me. So yeah. I was like, well, so I was laboring, standing up next to the bed. And then the doctor came in and said she wanted to do her own check so that she had her own like line of where things were, mm-hmm. I guess. So yeah. she checked me. And by then I was already nine centimeters. Wow. So I had already gone up another centimeter. But what's funny is I guess I went through transition at some point, but I don't yeah. know that it was like everyone always says transition's crazy. I in didn't the car. have that. Yeah. Maybe probably. you went in the car with like distractions and stuff. Yeah. And like in between contractions in the car, I was like falling asleep. I was so tired. Like, so I don't know. It, it wasn't transition was not that bad for me. So I was lucky for that. 
So then the doctor said, look, your bag of water is bulging. We can either break it like artificially or we can wait and see when it breaks by itself. And I mm -hmm. said, okay, let me wait. So mm -hmm. she left and I continued laboring. And then I was like, you know what? We're at this point. I'm nine centimeters. They couldn't tell me his position yet because my water was still in intact. And because it's it was probably so bulgy. Yeah. yeah. So I said, just call her back. And she's like, well, it's going to get more intense. I said, it's going to get more intense. I'm going to yeah. have a baby. So let's yeah. do this. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, hold on. I have another contraction coming. I was on the bed. I turned over and all of a sudden my water exploded. <laughs> <laughs> they even wrote it on my report that I saw it after like a copious amount of liquid. <laughs> like, there was so much. And um, so I was like, that's good that that didn't break in the car because that would have been a mess yep <laughs> so um then they cleaned up i was standing next to the bed again and then all of a sudden i felt pushy <laughs> and i was i was doing the pushing sounds and my mm -hmm. doula said like look you need to like concentrate tell me if you can not push mm -hmm. and so the next contraction i was like no no the, I, my body has to yeah, yeah. I, i'm i'm pushing so they wanted to check me again because they didn't want me pushing before 10 centimeters. So they did do a lot of checks, but I wasn't too worried considering how close I was to the finish line for infection and things like that because I, mm -hmm. I wasn't a huge fan of cervical checks going in, but I was like, we're near the end. Hopefully nothing bad will happen. Let's just. So they checked me. I was already 10 and uh, he was at a zero station at this point, but he was LOA. Okay. They checked him. So he was in the right position so that was great i was worried because my contractions were wrapping around to my back at that point mm -hmm. but i i assume that that's probably pretty standard when you're that low i guess yeah and like things are getting more intense but i kept on saying to my doula like if he's op if he's op if he's <sighs> op like i was so scared that he was going to end up in the same position as my first son especially yeah. i had another anterior placenta so i had read mm -hmm. somewhere that that could cause positioning mm -hmm. issues and i was like oh, no not another one so he was fine so that was like a huge relief in that moment so then i tried a few different positions on my hands and knees i thought i was gonna love that hated it could not push mm. like that so yeah so i ended up on my side pushed a lot like that but i was pulling on like the rung of the bed and i don't know if i was mm. using too much energy like that but the mm. doctor she looked at me at one point she said look i know you don't want to be on your back but maybe just try it. If it doesn't mm -hmm. work, we'll try something else. But try it. And I really yeah. trusted the team at that point. They had really been very aware of everything I wanted. They yeah. gave me choices. They were really evidence-based. So I was like, you know what? Yeah. This is a good team. Let's let's try. Why not? Yeah. yeah. And so I went on my back and all of a sudden my contractions were like being used. Like my pushing was a million times better. So I guess that's what I needed in that moment. As, mm -hmm. as much as I really hated to be on my back i was like maybe this is what i needed so he descended really well to like a plus three i had the wow. whole team around me i had my my husband up here like next to my head and then my doula was next to him then i had the doctor at the foot of the bed and then i had two nurses on the side and they were so good together like apparently they're a team that works together a lot and so mm. they really they bounce off of each other and it was just it was so supportive and they were always they were just there telling me you're doing it you're, you know like pushing yeah. was so hard for me though like yeah so many women say like pushing was where i really felt empowered and like i could do something with the contractions pushing was like the most painful thing mm. i've ever experienced so i didn't 
I don't think I went in there thinking about that. Yeah. I was shocked by that. But she also at one point said, you're not going to need a C-section today. Like Mm. we're past that point. This baby is coming out vaginally. Like no matter what happens from here on out, this is you're good. And my eyes just filled with tears. I was so happy at that point. And then they started getting stuff ready at like the end of the bed. And like, this is a really good sign. This means baby is coming. Like, yeah, constant validation. Yeah, they were so nice. And they offered a mirror, which I accepted. But (laughs) some people say mirrors like really help them. They're like, oh, we see his head. There was like a nickel size piece of like his. I was like, that's no. I have so much more to do. Like, so I found that not super helpful, but she, um, the doctor, I don't know how I feel completely about this, but she did a warm compresses and stretching of my perineum while mm-hmm. I was pushing. Mm-hmm. I didn't end up tearing. So I don't Weird. know if that helped for it or not. And they poured a pelvic lot of floor, pelvic floor work before too. Yeah, though. exactly. Like I did a lot of that. So yeah. And they poured a lot of mineral oil on his head to try to get him to like, I guess, slip out a little bit easier Mm. because I was having more trouble. So I don't know if those things are evidence-based necessarily, but in my case, I didn't tear. So they may have helped. They may not have helped. I'm not sure. Though they did tell me I wasn't using my contractions as effectively as I could have been, I guess. They said I was starting to push too early in my contraction and then not pushing long enough. Mm. So they were really like trying to coach my pushing. Waiting until it built a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, at that point, he was having a few D cells. So I think they were getting a little bit more serious at that point. Mm -hmm. And they told me every time I put my legs down between contractions that he was like slipping back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So they had to, they had the nurse and my husband hold up my legs at some point so that I was exhausted at this point. I mean, it was 12 hours. It wasn't super long, but I think because I hadn't eaten enough or drank enough. So. But they did let me eat in labor, even though I was already set eight centimeters. Like they were fantastic for all of those things. So I didn't have to fight that. So yeah. And then uh, at one point, his head was like crowning. And so the doctor actually had to hold his head in position between oh. my contractions because he kept on slipping back in. Oh. And, yeah. It was really intense. And like the ring of fire, when somebody's holding that ring of fire there is no joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's rough. So, um, yeah. And then at one point, the mood just shifted in the room. And she said, look, if you don't get him out in the next two contractions, I have to cut you. And I was Mm. like, excuse me? (laughs) You have to what? And Mm. I was like, an episiotomy? And she's like, yes, like, it's getting serious now. He's had a few, he had like a a pretty major heart rate uh, decel right now. So, Mm -hmm. yes. So she's like, I'm giving you two more. So they got like the numbing stuff like i guess lidocaine or something lidocaine. ready mm-hmm. and uh she they dropped the bed down at that point so it was completely flat so i guess she wanted to have like a better view i guess of like mm. how she was gonna cut and i pushed harder than i've ever pushed anything or done anything in my whole entire life and all of a sudden i felt his head come out and i was like oh, she didn't have mm-hmm. to cut me it was like right down to the wire i pushed him out right reg- like by myself and it was just like Oh my gosh, it was the best feeling in the whole world. And then she said, okay, stop pushing to check, like, I guess for shoulder, shoulder, because of the gestational diabetes, I guess for cord, everything. So then she's like, okay, he's good. Go ahead, push him out. And uh, they said, grab your baby. 
like I pulled my baby out onto mm. my chest and it was best just feeling the best feeling in the whole wide world I cannot describe it I the best I had had my V back and I just kept saying, I did it, I did it, I did it. <laughs> and everyone was like so happy in the room. And I had a very, very minor tear in my labia and that was it. Like, yeah, it was night and day to my C-section recovery. Yeah. Like, they put the baby on me. He didn't budge from my body for two and a half hours. Oh, they such a difference. Oh my gosh. It was fantastic. We literally just, he laid on me. And I, we, I talked with my doula and my husband for like an hour and a half until my doula left. And then they came in and like weighed him and did all the things afterwards and checked his sugars, which they have to do for gestational diabetes. They right. check sugars four times. Yeah. But everything was good. And it was just fantastic. It was mm. the, best, the best feeling in the world. Oh, I am so happy for you. So happy for you. And so happy that you found the support and the team and and everything, right? All of the things that you've done did add up to the experience that you had. Yeah. And like, I went into this birth saying, I'm going to do all the things so that if I do end up in a C-section again, I know I did everything possible. I yeah. needed that for myself. Yeah. So. And that's something to really point out too, because really, sometimes you can do everything. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't, it still doesn't end the way you want. Right. That's kind of how I was. I was like, I want to do everything. So in the end, I don't have question. What if I did this? What if I did that? Right. Exactly. And sometimes that was hard because it meant like spending more money on a chiropractor or spending more money on a doula. And I, we had to like work that. And sometimes it's not, it's this is not possible for someone. Yeah. And that's okay. And, you know, and VBAC can be done with not doing these things. But that's yeah that's how it was for me too like i mentally needed to do all these things in order to like just have myself be like okay if it happened i, w I can't go back and question that's it like you're you're at peace with everything that you did and yeah. and it's funny the doctor that i switched from so my original ob my doula had three v-back clients all at the same time like we were all due around the same time two of us switched from him we oh. all started under his care. Really? And two of us switched and ended up, well, I ended up with a VBAC. She ended up with a repeat C-section, but dilated to full, to complete mm -hmm. and everything. And so she was very happy. Mm -hmm. But the third person stayed with him and he pulled the bait and switch on her at 36 weeks. Mm -hmm. So she like, had an elective. She ended up in an elective C-section. I was mm -hmm. like, oh my goodness. Like, yeah. thank goodness I followed my gut and I switched yeah. away. Like, yeah. Intense. Insane. Yeah. Support really does matter. Support is important. And in our Facebook group, we have the, at the VBAC link community on Facebook. If you go under files, you can click our support a provider as well. And this provider, this provider will be added to that list. Do you want to share your provider's name? Yeah. Her name was Dr. Shake. She was fantastic. I think I already like submitted her name to be added. I'm not sure if you it did. has been yet, but yes. yeah. Like I loved her and Dr. Lalonde was the one who uh, I consulted with for my extension, who was super and is known for doing two uh, uh, VBACs after two C-sections as well. Yeah, Lalonde? Yeah, Lalonde. I also Lalonde? submitted her name as well. Okay, and these perfect. doctors both practice at uh, LaSalle Hospital. So it was a further drive, but a hundred thousand times 
worth it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to like want to go far or you get worried about it, but it usually, usually oh, yeah. go something good comes out of it. Yeah. Oh, well, congratulations again. And thank you so much for taking the time today before we leave. What five or maybe three, three to five tips would you give to the listeners during their prep? Like what were your key things for prepping or, you know, what information would you give? Suggestions? I would say the, the mental prep is a hundred percent the work that I did the most that I think benefited um, mm -hmm. in terms of like hypnobirthing tracks, we did the parents course by the VBAC link, which was very helpful. I found for getting my husband on the same page. Like he can tell you everything about VBAC now because he took that course. <laughs> I love that. So, so it helped him feel more confident. A hundred percent because he was pretty on board from the beginning, mm -hmm. but it just like solidified everything in his brain. He's like these stats, like obviously we're going to go for a VBAC, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like super on board after that, for sure. And like, awesome. then it armed me also with the stats, like my parents were very nervous about me trying for a VBAC and things like that. So it really helped me arm myself. So and and just yes. mentally, knowing that my chances of rupture and things like that were so much lower than the chances of actually succeeding in a VBAC, like, yeah. so it was just it really the mental prep and and knowing like i said that doing everything i was going in there as equipped as i could be with the most education having done all the prep work and then mm -hmm. you have to leave it up to your baby and your body you know like mm -hmm. really trusting that which i didn't think i would i didn't think the mental game would be that intense oh man it is it is it <laughs> is intense and it it really it can be like especially based off of like what trauma we've had or what experiences we've had, like there can be so much that goes into, into it. And, and we have to bring, we have to find the information in order to even process sometimes and then work th working through that. And then, you know, you mentioned all the amazing things you did. You did a, or a pelvic floor, you did, you did acupuncture, you did dates, you did, everything. <laughs> you did it all right. Like, so, and for the dates, I did them with peanut butter and and uh, a nut on them to balance the protein, protein. Of the and the sugars, right? So that's my favorite way. I that's my favorite way that I eat. And I dates broke them well. into two in the afternoon and two after supper because that's when my numbers were the best for my gestational diabetes. And I always took a walk after supper, so it like really helped. So oh, I guess that. a lot of people I would hear said they couldn't do dates because of their gestational diabetes. But yes, as long as you can balance your numbers, like it's still a possibility. So yes. that's helpful. And just finding all the information about gestation gestational diabetes was tough mm -hmm. to find, but really important for my mental game as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love those tips. Thank you so much again. And congrats again. And we'll make sure that we get your docs added to Andrew Jula um, today, but our, your docs and everybody added to the list so people can find them because yeah, support is a big deal. It's a and really, it, really big deal. And thanks to the VBAC link, honestly, like mm -hmm. the only sad part was that like, there's not much of Canada that's covered yet. So it was like, finding my like alternatives that way but everything yeah. else was covered by the VBAC like 100% I was like 
Um, I tell everybody about the the other day I went for my COVID shot and I told the nurse her daughter had just given birth via C-section and she wants to go for a VBAC. I was like, get her to listen to the VBAC. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love that. Thank you so much. So thank you so much for everything you do. It's uh, It was a game changer, 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, the worldwide database for VBAC doulas, and more, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.